The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Father, we just thank you that your word says that you would send the Holy Spirit and that he would be a teacher, that he would lead us into the truth. And so we pray that we would be able to understand your word today, not just in our mind, but that, God, that it would come down uh, supernaturally by your spirit into our hearts, Lord, to cause there to be a difference in the way that we live. Lord, let it take root, Father, and grow to produce the fruit of following you, Lord, in your name. Amen. All right, today we're talking about, well, first of all, we've been talking about how big God is. And so we've been talking about that God created the heavens and the earth, that he fills the heavens and the earth, that God is the creator of all things, that literally he's not just a little Jesus that lives in our heart, although God's presence does come and dwell in us, but that he is huge, that he's bigger than anything you can imagine. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.20 that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine, it says. So, I mean, he's so big we can't even imagine the things that he can do. Last week, we talked about God and how God comes in, and as he works his way all the way through the Bible, giving examples of people that had victories and overcame different obstacles and challenges in their life, different giants that they had to face, different scenarios that God was bringing them through, that over and over again, God asked them to do ridiculous things to win those battles. And that the message, really, that God was trying to get through to people is that he didn't need their smarts, and he didn't need their strength. What he needed was their faith and their obedience. And that he would come through for them if they were willing to do that. But he oftentimes asked them to do things in ways that made no rational sense at all. But it only made sense through faith and believing that, okay, God is bigger, God knows, so we're going to follow through and do things this way. And so God is so big and so huge that he will literally take our whole life to try to get into our mind and understanding of who he is. And we say really quickly, like, oh, I got it. I got it. No, I get it. We kind of do that with everything. Anything that we're learning, it's like, no, no, I get it. No, no, I figured it out. No, I, okay, good, show me. Okay, well, you started to show me, good. All right, I got it. You know, kids do that, adults do that. You know, we've owned businesses, and you try to train people, and you start to get them trained, and they want to look like they're a great employee. And so the minute you start to teach them something, they're like, oh, I, I got it. We can go now. I got it. And that never leaves us. I started working at these apartments with these uh, kids at the low-income apartments, and the guy's showing me all this paperwork stuff, and all, I mean, just, it's a government kind of mandated, connected, funded thing. And so <coughs> I'm going through all this stuff, and I'm looking at it, and it's just this flood of stuff to do. Like, there's five papers for everything that you do. And I'm looking at it, and so finally I'm just like, I got it. Totally got it. We don't need to go over it anymore. Totally got it. Ready to go. And then he walks out the door, and he's like driving away, and I'm thinking, I am in so much trouble right now. Like, I don't got any of that. Like, I don't even know why I said that. I just blurted out because I had to stop the information. It kept coming at me. You know, parents do that. They're like, no, no, I got it. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the doctors come out saying, well, you want to do this, and you want to do that, and you're going to take them home, and they're a little baby, and you want to, yeah, oh, oh, I got it. Yeah, I read the book. No, I saw the little thing on, on the video on YouTube. I know how to parent. I'm good. Like a week later, you know, you're calling the nurse, calling, I, something's wrong with my baby. Freaking out because, oh, yeah, you're supposed to feed him like every couple hours. Oh, 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 okay. There's some kind of things going on that we don't understand because we jump so quick to try to say that we understand everything. But the Bible says that we'll know the truth and that the truth will set us free. So there is a value to digging in a little deeper. 
to having a little bit better understanding and a little bit better knowledge. It helps us to be able to understand what God is saying to us and then apply it to our lives and to be able to actually get freedom in those areas. So today, we're talking about how big God is. There's a verse in the Bible that says, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so we say, well, if God's for us, who can be against us? Well, nobody. Wouldn't that make life easy? So how many of you feel like sometimes there's something or someone against you of some sort? There's something like resisting the good that you're trying to do. Okay, so obviously the verse doesn't mean that if God is for me, who can be against me? Nobody. It's a question. If God is for me, who can be against me? What's the answer to the question? Because if we know the answer to the question, we can identify who's against what we're trying to do, and then we can actually take some kind of an action on that. But the first is to know, what are we battling against? What's the resistance? Why do I feel this? I'm trying to help somebody, and then their life fell apart. And I thought we were doing so good, and then they got discouraged. And it's just really weird, because I thought they were doing good, and then everything fell apart, and then boom. Their life's worse than when I started, when I started meeting with them. When I first started loving on them, and now they're just a disaster. And I thought God was helping them. I thought, what happened? What resistance did they hit? What came against them? Why didn't it work out? I've been talking to this person, loving on him. I've been trying to get to a place of healing and forgiveness for some offenses that were in the past. And it just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. But I'm doing all the right steps. What's the resistance? What's in the way? And so there are things that resist. There are things that get in the way of the good that God asks us to do. Jesus came to earth, and guess what? He was resisted. He was resisted to the point that they hung him on a cross, that they killed him. For what? For trying to heal the sick. For trying to help the poor. For trying to point the way to heaven. And people killed him for that. So obviously if they'll kill him for that, there's resistance that will come against us even as we try to do the good that God has us to do. So what are the resistances? The first one that we're going to start out with today is the devil. Next week we're going to do another one, and then the week after we're going to do another one. There's three that we're going to talk about. Today we're going to talk specifically about the devil. And the devil has a whole lot of uh, kind of just fanfare around him even. There's tattoos, there's artwork, there's movies, there's TV shows. Everybody knows everything about the devil and who he is in our culture. But everyone that knows everything knows something different. It's like, oh, you know, man, when I die, I'm going to go to the hell and party with the devil. I don't know what's giving me that, dummy. And other people have a fear. It's like, I can't, I can't sleep. I can't do anything. The devil's always against me. He's always resisting me. I got a flat tire. The devil did it. I was on my way to work, and then, you know, I got an offender bender. I think the devil pushed my car. Like, everything is tied into this, the devil's after me. And so what is the devil really doing? What is the devil really trying to accomplish? What does he really look like? What is he doing to oppose your life? And what is he not doing? So number one, the devil is his name. We talk about him. The devil is actually the word devil in the Bible. If you look up the the Hebrew word for it, devil means slanderer, accuser. That's actually the meaning of it. It means to slander and to accuse falsely. And so actually in his name is a description of his work, is that he is constantly on the lookout to discourage and to tear people down with false accusations and by bringing lies against them, by putting them down, by attacking them, and by doing that. That's one of the devil's chief weapons that he uses. His main strategies is to come into slander. Another word in the Bible that's used for him often is Satan, and Satan means an adversary. It means someone that comes against. So the picture here of someone who comes against us 
through accusation, through slander, through false statements, and he's constantly on the move. Has anyone ever felt torn down because somebody is saying something about you that's not true? It's a pretty effective weapon, right? It can really just sap the courage right out of us. Just boom, there it went. It's gone. Because somebody, and you know it's not even true. And yet it still somehow seems to just pull the life out of you and cause you to just want to go, oh, I don't even want to be around. It's an effective weapon, effective strategy, and it's one that Satan uses to come against us. Now, if you know that someone is a child of God, if you know that someone is loved by God, that before they're in their mother's womb, that he knew them, that he designed them, that he made them, isn't there a lot of strength and power and freedom that comes in knowing who you are in Christ? in knowing that God loves you, in knowing that that is your foundation, that that is your worth, that that is your value, that Christ died for you, that he rose again, that he does for you because he loves you. And somebody that has full confidence in that, somebody that stands in the strength of that, has a lot of power to stand against the enemy, against the oppression that comes against your life, for the good to overcome the evil. Because there's a lot of strength and power in knowing the truth. God is for me. Who can be against me? God is with me. God loves me. But when Satan can come in and begin to discourage and to pull that down and say, well, God really doesn't love you. You're just an outcast. You know what? The people in that church probably don't really want you there. You know, if you didn't bring great coffee or you didn't bring the snacks or you know what? If you didn't do your tithes and offerings, if you didn't do this, they probably wouldn't even want you there. And starts to bring attacks and things that start to cut back the confidence. What do you mean God's for you? You haven't gotten a promotion at that job in years. Other people get a promotion. They don't even serve God. But look, you get looked over. God's not for you. And the accusation comes, right? It just keeps coming and coming. And it wears down the strength and the confidence to step forward in what God's called us to do. And it happens over and over. This is one of the strategies that he uses because he's a slanderer. He's an accuser. He comes against you. Some differences between God and the devil. God is a creator. God makes things out of nothing. We talked about that when we talked about the bigness of who God is the last couple weeks. God literally stands in the midst of nothing and just, boom, let there be light. Light comes. God breathes life. He creates. He doesn't need anything to exist. God is because God is. Because of nothing else. That's distinctly different than the devil because the devil was created. The devil was made. The devil didn't make himself. The devil is not an is. The devil was not always. God was always. That's a pretty large distinction. You have a creator that can make from nothing. That's very powerful. And you have a devil who cannot do that, who did not always exist. Well, that's scary. Who made him? We're going to talk about that. Why would you make someone like that? Well, we're going to talk about that. But that's a difference. The devil is not omnipresent. Now, this is important. The Bible in no way describes the devil as an omnipresent being. What's omnipresent? Omni means everywhere. So the idea is everywhere present. The reason that's a distinct difference is because God, the Bible clearly says all through his word that God is everywhere. He fills the heavens and the earth. In the Psalms, David talks about how there's nowhere I can go to hide from you. If I go here, you're there. If I go there, you're there. And he goes through this whole passage where he's talking about everywhere I go, you are. Because God is everywhere. He made everything. He's in everything. He is everywhere. The devil is not. The Bible is clear. And these are passages that uh, I'm not going to go through all of them because I've got a lot of scripture we're going to go through. But I'm just going to give you some of the, the words from these because they're not the main point. They're just some differences. But the Bible talks about Satan, and it talks about him being hurled down to the earth. It talks about him roaming about to and fro. It talks about him looking and, and moving from place to place. He's an angel that's been thrown down. And so the Bible talks about angels that move from one spot to another. 
and that they have a battle, and they can't get to the other spot until prayer breaks them through to the other spot. And so all through the Bible, it's very clear that angels, which God made, are not omnipresent. They move from spot to spot. Okay? That's important to know because the devil is not everywhere at all times. God is. And that's an important thing to know because oftentimes we think, well, it's the devil was, was at my house today. Well, the devil does have, and we're going to get into the scripture on it, the devil does have demons that roam the earth, other fallen angels that he has recruited into the rebellion against God. But the devil himself is not everywhere all the time, always at you. He's not that powerful. God is that powerful. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. Omnipotent means all power, all powerful everywhere. That's clearly who God is, but not who the devil is, because God created, he even created the devil. God created the heavens and the earth. The devil did not do that. And so God has all power. The Bible talks about, we're going to get into the scriptures, but God, the Bible talks about how that God has all authority and all power, and that he's crushed the head of the enemy, of the serpent, of the devil. Well, that's all powerful. Someone who's all powerful cannot also be crushed. So the Bible's clear that Satan is not all-powerful. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. Well, the devil knows everything before I do it. That's not true. He has a good guess because he knows the nature of humanity, but he doesn't know everything. There's actually a scripture that says that if he had only known what the cross was going to do, it would not have crucified Christ. He crucified him thinking that he won. He thought he had a victory. He thought that we defeated him. And then it turns out that that was actually what God was using to set people free and to bring redemption. He didn't know that. And so he doesn't know everything. He doesn't have all the power. He's not everywhere. And so this idea that people live in this fear of the devil, he's so powerful, he's so strong. We're not talking about a battle of equals. This is not a toe-to-toe struggle for eternity, and we don't know who wins yet. I don't know what's going to happen. Every day I wake up and I'm just praying that God gets up. This isn't WWE. Anybody grow up on WWE? I grew up on that so much. It was WWF, and now it's WWE. I only started calling it WWE about, I don't know, a week ago. It was WWF to me right up until the end. But I remember, was it you that was at my house, or maybe it was Sean, Sean Stevenson? We were at my house one time, and this was before my mom passed away. She was in the bedroom, and we were out in the living room, and Hulk Hogan had been gone from the WWE for years. He had retired, he was gone. Who knows who Hulk Hogan is? Come on now. Okay. So Hulk Hogan's been gone for years, right? Every bald man's superhero, Hulk Hogan. So he's back there. Nobody's heard from him. My mom's in the bedroom. We're all out on the couch watching WrestleMania. And all of a sudden, you hear the music. Some of you know the music? Just shout it out. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, it's so good. My dad is sitting in his recliner half asleep. Just watching, like, oh, you know, it's never been fun since Hogan left anyway. We're just sleeping watching it because it's what we do. We're addicts. We watch WrestleMania. And all of a sudden, the music comes on. And you just had to know the music. My dad literally, (laughs) we're sitting in the chair. He's half asleep. All of a sudden, his eyes pop open, and he goes flying out of the recliner. It starts rocking and shaking, and he's got his finger in the air. He is screaming at the top of his lungs, running down the hallway, Gina, it's Hulk Hogan! runs into the bedroom, gets my mom. My mom comes flying out of the bedroom. My mom's only like this big, a little squinty eyes, and she is literally crying. 
and laughing and screaming. And she's coming out. She's got her eyes covered. So good. Comes out. And they're both watching. My whole family is celebrating. It was amazing. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about wrestling. We're not talking about Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Who's going to win? Can he body slam him? What's going to happen? This isn't a toe-to-toe. This isn't a mano-a-mano. This is actually a God who is so much bigger and so much larger than the devil that this is not a real contest. This is not a contest of who is going to have the victory. And we wake up in fear or we wake up in constant torment of, oh my gosh, I think the devil's winning. Oh my gosh, if we could only see into the spirit world, we would see that the devil's just taking everything over. As believers, that's not how we live. The Bible's clear what the end is. Jesus on the cross said it is finished. In other words, this battle's already done. If you cut the head off of a snake, guess what happens to the body? It continues to wiggle for a little bit. Okay, we are living in the wiggle. That's where we live. When Christ died, he crushed the head of the enemy. He defeated Satan. It is finished. And we are living in the aftermath of that. We're living when Satan's wiggling around. We sang that song today about crushing the enemy and crushing out his breath. What a great song. Graphic. What a great song. It's very good. So here we go. Let's get into the scripture. Where did the devil come from? Ezekiel 28. This is the prophecy, and it's talking about the devil. It says, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold, and the day you were, crea- you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were, the o- you were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. So Satan was made as like a guardian angel, a cherub that was in the presence of God, that was a part of the worship of God. He was beautiful, not this ugly, gnarly, demonic, gargoyle-looking thing that you would run from. Okay, where do most people fall into bondage and into sin? Is it because they're chasing after ugly things? Or they're chasing after things that they think are beautiful? People that are beautiful, events that are beautiful, money that is beautiful, things that are beautiful, things that are so amazing. And then they find themselves all the way into that and then boom, it captures their life and crushes them. Satan was a beautiful angel, an angel in the presence of God. What happened to him? Well, it goes on. Verse 15, it says, You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created. God created him as a good thing. Until wickedness was found in you. Wickedness crept in his heart. Well, what kind of wickedness? Well, it's a very unusual one. One that most of us have probably never experienced. It says, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you into disgrace from the mount of God and expelled you, the guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and I made a spectacle of you before the kings. That pride and self-reliance came in. And he began to want to be more than he was. I'm beautiful. I'm wonderful. I'm amazing. I don't need God. Right? That's pride. 
I know nobody here has ever lived like that or walked through that, where you just start to get so proud of yourself or your own ability. You're like, I don't need God. I'm like, man, I've got it. Everything's great. Well, that's where he went to. Isaiah, another prophet in the Bible, talks about it. It says, you, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly. So I'm not going to come to the Mount of Assembly and worship God. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly. I will be God. People will come to me for my wisdom. People will come to me to worship me. Right? She goes on, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. For you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Satan had a, an eye problem. I will. I will. I will. I will. Has anybody ever had an eye problem before? I will do this. I will do this. I will. When you start having an eye problem, you're heading right here for verse 15, but you're brought down to the realm of the dead and to the depths of the pit. Eye problems lead to destruction. We find our way into a difficult... I can handle this. I don't need God. I can deal with it. I will get back at them. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God works out things. I will, I will defend my own name. I will do... When we get into an eye problem, we wind up in the same type of thing that Satan did. That's why Jesus says to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Right? We're fixing both our eyes, and where our eyes look, guess what else? Our eye goes. Boom. I'm moving towards God with who I am. That's where I'm going. And that's what he calls us to do. But Satan, it became about himself. It says in Romans 12, 7 through 9, this is where the demons come from, that he led an angelic rebellion. It says, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon is the devil. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. But Satan led a rebellion of angels and went against God, and God threw him out. And it says right in this verse, now here, you're thinking, well, when did God start becoming stronger than the devil? Was it just like right at the cross that this happened? Like that's right, boom, like he came out and he did a leg drop and then it was over? No, it was never a fair fight because look how he got thrown out of heaven. It says that he came and he fought against him, but verse 8 it says he was not strong enough, so they lost their place in heaven. From the very beginning, it was pride, not power. He had pride, I can, but when he tried to, he couldn't. And God had the power and the victory over him. Okay, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Describes the war that we are actually in. We are in a spiritual battle. That's why sometimes it seems hard. That's why sometimes it seems like I just did good, but now I feel depressed. I just did good, but now I feel sad. Do we have to live like that? No, we don't have to live like this. God gives us a place to live in peace and to live in joy and for it to be consistent. But as we grow in maturity in Christ and as we learn to live in faith and stay consistent, we can have these ups and downs where we just feel like we're just driven by, man, I thought I did good, now this person's mad at me. Well, I thought, and we can have all these emotions that go. Because there's a battle, there's a struggle, there's an accusation. You're not good enough. That person failed because you weren't a good enough help to them. You didn't think, you, that, you, an accusation comes. Well, Ephesians 6.10 talks about this battle. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now listen. Let me read this first. This is important. Every word that God gives us is important. So listen to this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Okay? Put a bookmark in that. In his mighty power. That's what you're strong in in the Lord. Put on his armor so you can take your stand against what? The devil's power? Does it say that? Does it say stand firm in God's power so that you can stand strong against the devil's power? It doesn't say that. What's it say? His schemes. Because the devil is an accuser and a slanderer, he's a fake, he's a fraud, he's a phony, he's a liar. And so the power that we see, and I say, oh, the devil's so powerful, it's a scheme. So we'll keep reading in that. Verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Almost all of these weapons revolve around truth. There's the belt of truth. Okay, the sword of the spirit is what? It's the Bible, right? The word of truth, right? It goes through, it talks about the shield of faith. What do you put your faith in? You're putting faith in God's word. You're putting faith in Christ. You're putting faith in the truth. It's talking about even the, the sandals, which are for the gospel, right? Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. These weapons are truth-based. They're truth-oriented weapons. And so Satan, who's a liar, who's an accuser, and constantly comes against us with his lies and his accusations and his slander and his schemes, that the weapons that are formed against him, the spiritual weapons, are truth. That as we come in the truth of God, that he can't stand against that. That's no different than if you went to court. And somebody brings out all these accusations, and then all of a sudden you come out and you have actual evidence of truth, and you just set it down. Boom. And everybody looks at it and goes, well, I guess that's it. That's the, there it is. That's the truth. That's the evidence. It's over. And so these weapons are weapons of truth that we use. Well, how do we use them? Well, how powerful is the devil? That's the next question. Hebrews 12, 14, it says, Therefore, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humility, so that by his death, talking about Christ, by his death we might destroy him, now talking about the devil, who holds the power of death, that is the devil. So he has the power of death. But the Scripture here tells us that Christ already destroyed the power of death. So the power that Satan had has been destroyed. This was his weapon. This was the thing that he brought fear with. This was the thing that he brought people into bondage with, was this fear of death and this power of death. But Christ already broke that and defeated it. 
So he's using now a broken weapon. He says, and destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. The chain's already been broken. The lock's already been knocked off. There's already a victory there. Satan's job then is to deceive people into thinking it's still there. I still have power. I'm still strong. I can still take you out. It doesn't matter if you've turned your life to Christ. I can take away your salvation. I can take you back to hell. I can lock you back up. I can try you for the same crimes that you've already been forgiven for. How much authority does he have? Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all the nations. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What's that have to do with the devil? <coughs> the devil's not mentioned there. He doesn't need to be because look at verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? To Jesus. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. If you have all of something, how much is left? Even common core people can get that math right there. Right? I got all of it. How much is left for you? Nothing. How about this? How about I'll take all of it and give you what's left? So I can try that on the kids at the apartments and see if I can get by with that. I'm taking all the Jolly Ranchers and I'll give you guys everything else. Deal. Oh, calling my dad. There's nothing left. So if all authority is his, there's no authority left for the devil. Guess who else there's no authority left for? For you. For me. All of it's gone. That brings us to a question about who is Jesus? Is he our Savior only? Saves us from going to hell, saves us from death, saves us from our addiction, saves us from our fear, saves us from our loneliness, saves us from our bitterness, saves us from our addictions, whatever, saves us. Biblically, no. He's both our Savior, he's both our Savior and our Lord. He's the King. He has authority. And so we take our life and we line it up to how he would have us live. That's why it's important to know, know the Bible, know what God teaches, know how, what he says to do, because it's always different than how we would live. The Bible says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways. So if the devil doesn't have power, if he doesn't have authority, then how does he do so much damage and hold so much what appears to be power in the world? 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15. For such people are false prophets, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Trickery. He masquerades. He fools people and draws them away into sin. The Bible says that no one is, when they are tempted, can say they are tempted by God, for God is not tempted, and he tempts no one but that we are all dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires. That Satan appeals to the inner part of us that wants to be in charge, that wants pride, that wants our own way, the selfish side of us, and that people are led away and drawn away to go that direction. John eight forty four. you belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, talking about the devil, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and he is the father of lies. 
Okay, so his entire language, his existence, when he speaks, it just naturally comes out. He's lying. So there's always deception involved. He's always working in an angle on things. He did this in the Garden of Eden. He took truth, and he tried to change it. Jesus, God said, don't eat from this fruit. And so what did, the devil comes in and says, oh, has God said this? And he starts twisting it just enough, just a little bit. Oh, well, you know that God doesn't want you to be wise. God doesn't care about you and cause people to do it their own way. Just a little bit of deception. When Jesus was in the desert fasting before he started his ministry, he was fasting, and the devil came and said, oh, you're going to be the king anyways. Why don't you do this and take your authority now? Why don't you do it my way? Why don't you try this? And just starts twisting some truth because, yes, he was going to rule. Yes, he was going to have victory. Yes, he was going to do all these things. But the devil came in and said, you don't have to do it that way. You can do it this way and get there faster. Deception. He's taking him down a road and trying to get him to appeal to his, his own desire for an easier way, for a more self-focused and self-centered way, one that didn't require the cross, didn't require a struggle. You could just have it right then. And so... There's a twisting that happens. How do we win? John 8, 32 tells us, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Is that we win through truth. And when it says no, here's the word for that. It's gnosko, and it doesn't mean to know. It means to know because you've experienced. So it's like if I said I knew somebody, right? We'll go back to Hulk Hogan. If I went to the wax museum. And I saw Hulk Hogan, and I left, and I read the little pamphlet on him, and I left, and I said, man, I know Hulk Hogan. I saw him, and he's awesome, and I read this whole thing on him, I know all about him. And some other guy walks in and says, yeah, we used to travel together. We went around all the shows, we rode the bus, you know, I was there with him. Who would know him? Me or the other guy? That's the other guy, right? And so it's not talking about just knowing even because we just read the Bible, or knowing because we sat in church and heard about it, or knowing because... We've read a couple of, of different books on it. It's talking about knowing because we walk with God, because we turn to him when we have struggles and we pray, because we get into the Bible and we learn about him. We go through a difficult situation. We let him lead us through it, and we begin to know God through our actual life experience. And so it's through that knowing, it's through that following him that we find freedom. The path to victory over the devil is found in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Does it sound like a powerful, mighty, destructive, binding enemy that when the only act that you physically do is resist, that he flees? Does that sound crazy powerful? Because that's what the word says. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Well, what does it mean? Submit, the Greek word for that means to place or rank under, to subject, to obey, to place yourself underneath and submit yourself as in subjection. So you're putting yourself under the lead of another person, underneath the authority of another person. And if we'll put our life underneath the authority of Christ, and that's where we are, then when we face temptation or we face slander or accusation or discouragement or oppression from the devil, the demons, from that whole world that comes against us spiritually speaking, if we will submit ourselves under Christ, 
So, you know, a lot of people shorten this verse. If you go online, you search for this verse, mostly what you'll find is this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what most of the little pictures where they put the verse on them, on Facebook and everywhere, Instagram and stuff, if you search this verse, almost all of them say resist the devil and he will flee from you. With a little picture. They cut the first half of the verse out, which is where the power comes from and the authority comes from. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's not a resisting in your own strength that, oh, I'm strong enough. Devil, I don't want to do that. I'm done with you. It's not talking about that. It's talking about coming under the authority of a greater commander. We see it in politics, and we see it in military operations all over the world where a small country with basically no military has peace, and it's not attacked because it has linked itself to a country that has a big military. And so everyone leaves it alone. That's what it's talking about. Is that as we subject ourselves, as we come into the authority of God, and we begin to live his way in obedience to his word, not just our own ideas in our own mind, but we line up with God and we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to live my life after you, after your ways and follow your truth, and when it comes into, um, you know, when it comes into a battle against my own will, I'm going your direction. I want to get angry, but your, your word says not to be angry. I don't want to forgive that person. I want to be bitter, but your word says to forgive. I want to be worried, but Lord, when you were here, you said do not worry. Like these are the ways I want to live, and these are the ways you're telling me to live. When I move over here and I submit myself and subject myself underneath God's way of doing things, the enemy comes and he sees, okay, he has a big power with him. I'm leaving and finding someone who doesn't to pick on. Oftentimes, though, because the, the verse here says, submit to God, resist the devil, and you'll flee. Oftentimes, we do the opposite. We resist God. We submit to the devil. And we wind up fleeing. God says, you know what, forgive instead of hold bitterness. No, I resist that because it doesn't feel good. I feel like I need to have some vengeance, so I'm going to continue to be bitter. So I'm going to do this. And I submit to the way that the devil would do things, submit to the way that I want to do things, and I have an eye problem again, and I don't go towards God's way, but I resist him. Ultimately, I become someone who is full of bitterness, which leads to isolation, which leads to fear and anxiety, and this begins to rule my life. I don't have the money to pay my bills. I need to get a job. Gordon's a great example of this. Gordon didn't have a job for a while. I'd talk to Gordon and say, Gordon, how you doing? He says, I'm doing good. God's with me. God's going to help me. I believe it. Another week goes by. Gordon, how you doing? I'm doing good. God's with me. Another week goes by. Gordon, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Praise God. He's with me. But he just kept standing in. God's with me. God's for me. God's, I'm trusting God. I'm not going to let worry take over my life. Submitted himself to God's word, which says, do not worry. Jesus says that in Matthew. Don't worry. He submitted himself to God, and guess what? He resisted the temptation to live in fear. And what began to happen 
And so he began to experience a deeper revelation of who God is and become stronger and stronger, and his faith grew stronger. And he's, he's telling me stories of him and his wife and things they're talking about, what God's doing in this season of their life that's something they've never experienced before. It's, it's getting a close relationship with Christ, and they're becoming more bold and more confident, not more afraid. Because they submitted to God and resisted the devil. Not the flip side. They didn't resist God's ways and submit to the devil's ways. That's on us to do. The power and the authority is God's. Our experience living that depends on our choices. You can't live outside of God's way and resist God's way and expect the devil to flee. You have to submit yourself to God's way to have his strength and power in your life for that to happen. We're going to pray. Um, Donnie, if you want to come play that last song we did, the Overcome. We're going to pray. And I just want, as we sing this song, as we we're going to leave after this song, but when it's singing about overcoming, I want you to think about this. If there's an area in your life that you are looking for victory in, ask the Lord, have I submitted that area to you? Have I really submitted it to you? Am I doing it your way? Because if not, you can sing about overcoming, you can pray about overcoming, you can think about overcoming, but until you submit it to the authority of Christ, you know, maybe it's an addiction. Well, God says he wants me to have peace. The devil comes in and says, well, the quickest way to peace is this way. God doesn't want me to have anxiety. Well, this is the quickest way to get out of anxiety. You know, go into this drinking, go into this drug, go into this pornography, go into this, go into that. And it leads us down that road. The overcoming comes in the surrender and the submitting to God. And as we do that, God will bring victory into our lives. The victory is already paid for. The victory is already there. Because God is bigger than the devil. He's already won a victory over the devil. Our choice to follow God is how we experience and walk in that victory. Amen? Let's stand up and sing this song in closing. And then when the song's over, we can leave. Um, kids will be out there. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence. I pray, God, that, Lord, you would move in our heart, God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Father, to look at our lives and say, where do I need to submit to God's way of doing things? Lord, so that we can walk in the victory that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.